All right. Good morning, church. Good morning. So my uh, grandparents' house growing up uh, was off of Cherry Street in Lawrenceville. And the layout and the floor plan of their house was one of these houses. It was an older home. It was one of these houses where all of the rooms connected and kind of made a complete circle around the house, which whether this was intended or not, it made a terrific place for grandchildren to run at full speed throughout the house. And so uh, one particular Christmas, we had all opened our presents that Christmas evening, and we had had sugar cookies and all of the candy and all of the things that you have at Christmas. And so the grandkids are just full on, full speed through the house. I'm going to blame this on my cousin Mary Beth because it was her fault and I was totally innocent. But as we're, we're running through the house, Mary Beth hits my grandparents' Christmas tree and it falls right to the ground. And Christmas is over at that point. Like I remember my grandfather calmly picking up the ornaments and the Christmas tree and boxing it up and taking it back to the shed in the back. And Christmas was done. And so as we are here on Christmas Eve, you're anticipating Christmas coming tomorrow. But what I know about Christmas, because I've experienced it a few times, is that it comes and it goes really quickly. And eventually, you're kind of like, is that it? Is there something else in the closet? Is there somewhere else to go? What, what else is left? And if you're like me, you kind of build up this whole Christmas thing. And I know for me, I love Christmas, always have, hopefully always will. But I know part of that is at the end of Christmas night, when all is said and done, that Christmas is over. And you're kind of left with this empty feeling and you're like, what's left? And so I think as I thought through and prayed through where the Lord would have us to go in the word this Christmas or this Christmas Eve morning, I just felt led to John chapter three. And I, and I really felt the Lord impressing upon me just to remind you that Jesus is still here. When all of the presents are open, when all of the pies are eaten, when all of the family is gone back home, Jesus is still here. He's here every season. He's here in the good seasons of our life. He's here in the painful, in the seasons of trial in our life. And in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he has a conversation with him about what Jesus has to offer. And this is really the essential point of why Jesus had come. And so we see a few different things in this passage. And this passage is so rich. In fact, John chapter 3, verse 16 is probably the most well-known scripture verse in, in all of the world, most recognizable verse. But today I want us to focus on three things that remind us that Jesus is still here when Advent has come and gone and when Christmas has come and gone. So if you would read with me John chapter 3, we'll read 18 verses together. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one else can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we thank you for this season, because in this season, we as the church and even we as a culture pause and, and we remember that we celebrate this because Jesus came and we remember the manger scene. But Father, you remind us this morning that it doesn't just end with the manger scene, that Jesus grows up and lives a perfect, sinless life. And then he willingly lays down his life and he takes our place on the cross and he pays for our sin. And then he's buried in a borrowed tomb and three days later he's risen and he sits at the right hand of God. And so, Father, we thank you that it doesn't end with the major scene this morning. And God, I just pray that you would encourage us that, that we would... Um, embrace this teaching that Jesus has in the conversation with Nicodemus. And Father, I pray that you would encourage our hearts that <clears throat> we have the promise of eternal life. If we just believe, we just trust in the provision that you have given us in Jesus. And Father, we pray this morning that we would see him and him only. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few things that I think the coming of Christ shows us about the love of God and what it has to offer us. The first one is this, is that the love of God offers us the Son. And so God's love for humanity isn't simply a sentiment, but we know from the coming of Jesus, we know 
from John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So it's not just a feeling or a sentiment, but it's something that God does. He puts action to it by giving his only son for us. He proves his love for us by sending Jesus. John Piper says this. He says, the best and final gift of the gospel is that we gain Christ. And so what the gospel has to offer us is that we get the Son, we get Christ. Paul tells us in Colossians that Christ in us is the hope of glory. It's not anything good or righteous in us, but it's Christ who comes and lives inside of us. In Philippians, Paul writes that, um, that he wants to gain Christ and that everything else is just rubbish compared to to gaining Christ and having him. And the gift of God's love through the gospel is that we might see the glory of the Son and that we might experience the Son. So we gain the Son because God so loved the world that he gave his Son. And so then we also see in the same passage as Jesus is having the conversation with Nicodemus that God's love offers us eternal life. And so we see in John chapter 3, verse 16, that we, um, whoever believes in the Son should not perish but have eternal life. So there's two things that are going on. The first one is that we should not perish. And so this is really speaking of the suffering that would come because of judgment. And so because of your sin and because of my sin, because as we confess, there are things that we have done, there are things that have not, we have not done. We are sinful by nature, just who we are, and if anyone ever doubts sinful nature, um, once they become parents, they don't doubt that anymore because you see that from the very beginning of life. You see that we are selfish even from the beginning, and we think about only the good for ourselves. But then God, who is rich in mercy, steps in and he offers us a remedy to our sinful nature. But we're not just sinful by who we are, our identity. We're sinful by what we do. We are sinful by the actions that we perform. And God offers forgiveness. Lamentations tells us that his mercies are new every single morning. Think about that. Every single day, God has new mercy to offer you. Your yesterday is gone because God's mercy is new when the sun came up this morning. And so we have this, uh, this escape from judgment that we should not perish that shows us God's mercy. And then he also says that we have eternal life. And so this is God's grace for us. We have abundant joy and blessing in the presence of God forever. That's eternal life. And so for believers, those of us who have believed on or trusted on the name of Jesus, we get to experience this eternal life, not some day in the distant future after this life is over, but we get to experience it now. It begins right now. It begins at the moment of salvation. And so there's this thing that is an already not yet kind of experience to eternal life because we experience the joy and the peace and the fruits of the Spirit and all that Jesus has to offer in this life. And we already experience blessing and new eternal life 
in Jesus at this present at present time in a significant manner, but we also get to look forward to one day when we'll have eternal life with him forever in a resurrected body, and there will be a new heaven, and there will be a new earth, and we will be with him in presence forever and ever. So we experience this eternal life now, but not as fully as we will in those resurrected bodies. And if you want to flip with me one more um, passage here in John chapter 14, just a few pages over in your Bible, Jesus is speaking and he says, let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, <clears throat> um, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And so Jesus promises us that he's preparing a place for us and that he is going to come again. And as we await his second arrival, we experience the second advent where we await eternity living and being with him. And so we see that God's love gives us the son. God's love gives us eternal life. And then next we see that God's love gives us this promise of no condemnation. And so the person who doesn't believe, Jesus says at the end of our passage that we read together this morning, the person who doesn't believe or doesn't trust in Christ stands condemned. So this isn't just a neutral thing. This isn't like, okay, if you don't believe in Jesus, then everything's going to kind of work out in the end. He says, if you don't believe in Jesus, you stand condemned. And so that should, that should stir something within us. It should stir something within us that we stand condemned without believing or without trusting in the name of Jesus. It should stir something within us that because we stand condemned and God sent his son, that, that should make us worship and glorify God. And then it should stir something within us that because God has sent his son and he has given a way for us to not be condemned anymore, we should tell other people about it. And this is why Jesus sends out his disciples to go and make disciples because there's a great promise. There's a cure. There's a remedy. There's an escape because God has sent his son and there's no condemnation when we believe in him and we trust in him. And we stand condemned because we have sinned. I love the way that Randy Pope at Perimeter Church defines sin. It's easy for me to understand. He says sin means simply that we have all gone against God. And I think that's a really good description because at some point in your life and in my life, we've all gone against God. We've all either not done something he's commanded us to or we've done something that he's commanded us not to do. And so why... Um, why is this an important factor in this conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus? It's because God, by sending his own son as payment for our sin, has condemned flesh. See, there's no more condemnation for you when you're in Christ Jesus, but God has condemned the sin and the flesh in your life because Jesus has taken it on himself. And so if you turn with me to Romans chapter 8, and there's a couple of passages in Romans chapter 8 that I want us to read that just reminds us 
of this promise. It's Paul's writing in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Paul says this. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And listen to this in light of Christmas. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so because Jesus is born, sin is condemned in the flesh. And so I want to conclude just by thinking about God's love and remembering that God's love gives us the Son, eternal life, and no condemnation with this passage at the end of Romans, chapter 8, verse 31 to the end of the passage. It talks about God's everlasting love. What then shall we say to, those, uh, to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Jesus Christ is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are guarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this Christmas, I want to remind you that Jesus is still here. And because of that, nothing can separate us ever from the love of God. Would you pray that with me that God would appropriate that truth into our heart? Father, we do pray that you would appropriate this truth into our heart, that nothing can separate us from your love, not even death itself, not angels nor demons, because you have so richly loved us that you gave Jesus. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we've anticipated through Advent. That's what we celebrate as we come together this evening and welcome in Christmas. Father, we pray that you would just encourage our hearts, that you would stir our hearts, that you would bring us to repentance, and that we would find grace and mercy in the promise that there is no condemnation, and the promise that we can have Christ in us, who is the hope of glory, and the promise that we can have eternal life. And so, God, we pray that you would be glorified in us this season. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.